This is creative banter. After a few weeks of introspection, Ben may have finally learned why he did not have the dreaded first day funk on his recent trip to Zion, a diversification of interests. With this comes a conversation around the interconnectedness of everything, as well as questioning the true importance of stepping out of one's comfort zone. We also ask many questions this week, including how many people is too many people, would the Flintstones have any tricks to remembering information? And what exactly does a screaming chipmunk have to do with photography? Let's dive right into this, shall we? We said before that I don't really need to wait for the countdown to start talking, yeah. but it's nice because we seem to say about the con the countdown right around the same time, so it gives me a nice starting ah, point for everything. That's good. I realized that's that the good. other couple of weeks ago or so. I'm like, all right, I can just kind of find where we say that and match everything up, and we're good. That's good. So, but uh, how have you been? Good, good. Um, so in the week since we recorded last. I've had time to go through and scan all the images from the Zion trip. Okay. And it's always a process of getting to know the images and getting to know a lot of images quickly. And I, and I realize that might sound a bit strange in a lot of images because there was, there was 37 sheets of film. Um, but for in, in large format context, that, that is, that's a lot of images. And, and having to make those snap decisions in terms of <clears throat> which ones are going to be uh, potential material for the print portfolio, which ones are just general portfolio material, which ones are going to go in the zine. Um, and, and the decision process actually was fairly smooth. I, I ended up with seven images that I'm very happy with um, in terms of like portfolio grade and very happy with that. I had no problem selecting the three for the print portfolio. So I've been making prints. I've been uh, starting uh, to drop some of those images into the layout for the zine. And overall, just kind of getting to know the images. And it's it's a fun process, but it's definitely one that it feels a bit rushed. I know I do this to myself, but it, it feels rushed. But at the same time, I think when you're starting out with some images that you feel pretty strong about, it at least helps with that process. Um, so that's, that's what I've been doing for the past week. That's gotta be weird to have that kind of rush for everything like that. Just that looming deadline, like that's just in the back of your head as you're going throughout everything and trying to pick out which images are going to make it in the, uh, in the folio and which aren't. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm sure there are some like obvious choices or were some obvious choices for it, but at the same time, like we talked about before, there's a lot of work that has a tendency to grow on you as, and it's not quite, uh, it doesn't quite slap you in the face in the beginning and say, Hey, I'm going the portfolio. It's more like, <laughs> yes. Hey, can maybe in a little bit, can I maybe get in there, sneak my way in? Yeah. And, and I think, um, it, it's, I mean, it is a pretty, um, interesting experience going through and doing that. And I think, uh, it becomes normal after a while. But if, if you think about it, like if uh, anyone listening here, let's say that you're, you're going on a trip, you're going to be gone for a week or so, you're going to come back and then you're going to 
choose the images that you are going to print and then send out to, you know, a hundred something people who, you know, pre-ordered the portfolios and images that you know that that you want to make sure that you're going to be proud of. There's, there's definitely some pressure that comes with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel really good about the selection. Two of the images are scenes that I've tried to photograph in the past. And it was really a matter of just hoping that the conditions this year would be good on those scenes. Because otherwise, I was very happy with those images. And I'd you know seen that image in the past because I tried to photograph the scene. And so I think that made the decision on those ones a bit easier. And then the other one was a bit more of a spur of the moment. I, I don't think I told the little story behind that image. And, and you haven't even seen that image to see what it is. But I, I, did I tell you the story about the uh, the screaming chipmunk? I can't remember if I told that story. I don't think so. Because I, I, I don't think I did either. But just really quickly, there was a, a scene that I set up for and I was waiting for the wind to settle. Here's my voice kind of going out here. I don't know why. <laughs> Getting that <laughs> brass. Get a swig of coffee here to get that going. <clears throat> But I was, um, it was a scene that I found at the kind of the last minute before the light was going to flood into the scene. And I had mentioned that part, I think, in the past episode. And I was waiting for the wind to settle. It was going to be a two-second exposure <clears throat> and got the stopwatch in one hand. Man, my voice is really just sounding really uh, gravelly now. Yeah. <laughs> Five minutes in and by like 20 yeah. minutes, you're going to lose it all. I know. You're just going to have to talk nothing about puppies, which I think will, will be very good. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we can make it work. Yeah. But I'm staring at the scene. I'm waiting for some uh, maple leaves to settle as they're sitting there on the branch in the breeze. And I got to go two, two seconds, stopwatch in left hand or uh, uh, shutter release in left hand, stopwatch in the right hand, staring at the scene, just staring at those leaves, waiting for them to stop so I can start my exposure. Eventually they stop. I hit both the cable release and the stopwatch at the same time. And then I look down and what I see is myself, which isn't some sort of like, metaphorical thing. I'm literally seeing myself because my stopwatch is backwards in my hand and it's shiny reflective on the back. And I'm like, oh crap. And the moment <laughs> that that happens, there's a chipmunk that screams at me and I panic. <laughs> and I let go of both the stopwatch and the cable release at the same time. And I know it has not been two seconds. It just happens so incredibly fast. So I'm thinking it was like a second and a half or so. And so then I immediately, you know, put the dark slide back and flip the, um, uh, film holder around and do another exposure at two seconds. So I exposed three sheets of that film, uh, three sheets of film on that scene. And when I looked at the film, there are two exposures that are brighter than the others. And those two exposures are, they're okay, but honestly, they're a hair too bright. And they also have a little bit of wind movement. But the one that's a little bit darker, which is a, the chipmunk screaming one, perfect exposure, no wind movement. And the chipmunk made that one work out for me. And that's one of the ones that's going to be in the portfolio this year. So Nice. So the chipmunk just saved the day. He, oh, he totally was screaming the day. He was screaming yeah. in order to tell you, hey, you are exposing this for far too long. Yes. Like you need yeah, to stop. He, he saved me. Uh, I mean, it's, I, all I can say is no wind in that exposure. And the exposure is perfect. Uh, scanned beautifully. <laughs> And I looked through that piece of film, I'm like, I bet that chipmunk is somewhere within this frame. And I, I didn't see him. So I, I think it may have just been a little out of frame, but I thought it would be the coolest thing if that chipmunk was in there. It'd be like, it'd be like where's Waldo? Yeah. Uh, try to find him in there. Yeah. Whoever orders the biggest print can see it a little bit nicer. Yeah. 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 Just got to find him in there. <laughs> um, so it was, just, it was just like the complete opposite sort of moment as the two other photos, which are ones where 
I knew where to be and when, and I knew what the composition I wanted. And, and it was a very, you know, contemplative sort of experience versus this is like chipmunk screaming, stopwatch backwards, panic, panic, but you know, worked out pretty well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I, um, so I'm, I'm pretty happy with the images. Um, I've printed two of the three images that are going to be in the print portfolios. I've printed, uh, the first two, I need to print the other one tomorrow. But yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. And then also one other thing kind of while we're on that topic, I've, I've been thinking a little bit more about our discussion last week in terms of why it was I didn't have the first day funk. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking that one of the other things that is different this time compared to past trips is I, I think it's the fact that I have a more diversified set of interests now where it's not just photography. You know, I, I, I've been doing a cycling lately where that's just another thing kind of to, to think about and to look forward to. And, and I do think that when it comes to going on the trips, since I'm just kind of surrounded by photography all the time, since, you know, it's, it's the, the career I'm doing, it's something I depend on to make a living, it puts more pressure on things. And I do wonder if perhaps by spreading out the interest a little bit by getting to cycling and kind of changing my mindset on that gives me more things to look forward to. It it kind of evens out things a little bit. So I do wonder if perhaps it's because of just expanded interest where, you know, the photography stuff isn't as much of a, like a, a make or break kind of a deal situation where if something doesn't go well, you know, it's no big deal in the scheme of things where it just maybe results in a more relaxed state. I, that's the only thing I was thinking of in terms of, it was the other thing that was in my mind when I was there. Um, just thinking, you know, looking forward to getting home and being able to to get back into that and, and some other things along those lines. So I do wonder if maybe that has played a role in things as well. Yeah. I mean, that takes the pressure away from you for sure. Like if you're able to relax the mind a little bit more by going for a bike ride or have some other interest as well, and you're not full bore all the time thinking about photography, that's got to release some kind of pressure from you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think that's, that's gotta be some, some sort of factor in it. So we'll see on future trips, but, um, that was something that I was just, I've been thinking about in the past uh, week or so. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something that I've, that I've kind of been thinking about too, the whole diversification of interests as well. I mean, I think about, <laughs> I was talking to Colleen Minnick. I had a meeting with her, uh, yesterday mm-hmm. and we spoke for about an hour or so, and she asked me what some of my interests outside of photography were. Yeah. And I was like, reading and hiking, which isn't yeah. much. It's all like my life for the past decade has been really centered around photography and for the past six years, specifically around nature. Like the Having thought about that and continuing to think about it, it's just, it's a realization that having other interests isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Like you kind you kind of get into this thing where or at least I did where photography is everything and that's it. To take time away from that is kind of seen as a bad thing. Like even with me with reading, I felt for a while recently that reading was like a a waste of time. Like hmm. as stupid as that sounds, it was just one of those things of I could be doing something more to make my photography business happen and to make some kind of, to make an ebook or to make a presentation or something. I need that time that otherwise would be spent with reading. But obviously, the more that you realize that's not true, that yeah, like recently I've been sitting down and uh, 
last hour before bed, I'll sit down and I'll read. And that helps to fuel my other, my photography and my writing. And all of our diversified interests, whether it's video games, whether it's, I don't know, playing field hockey or running or biking, whatever, yeah, all can help fuel each other. And especially if you're writing about it, but even with your photography, like how, having that clarification of mind when you're going out too is a huge benefit. Yeah. So I think that's just a, a something to realize, at least for me too, that it doesn't always have to be one thing or the other. It can all be like a mix of things. Yeah. I think it's being able to shift your mind into different modes based on different things that you're doing. I mean, that's that, that seems like that's, that's a good thing about it. I mean, it was like when I was, um, I haven't been really using the uh, wilderness influencer uh, account on Instagram as much lately because I've kind of run out of ideas on that. But I, I mean, I just remember like when I'd go on a photo trip and I was kind of done taking photos for the day and I'd just go out with that little doll and set it up and, and take pictures just to kind of make fun of one thing or another. Mm-hmm. It was it was activating a different part of the of the brain that it was nice. It's just like shifting gears and. And then in in the process of doing that, I might notice something that I might not have noticed otherwise that fed into the photography side of things. So, I mean, all these things are interconnected. It's almost like a like a like internal combustion engine where kind of like different cylinders are kind of firing and kind of, you know, moving things along and, and contributing towards this this greater sense of movement that's going on. And and I definitely think that that is something that is important to have. And, and another thing I was thinking too is it, and this is something I, I've been curious because we've talked a lot about in the past about the whole like hustle culture and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, I wonder how it must look from the outside looking in at what I do. I mean, does it does it seem like I'm? I mean, you you kind of know in terms of how much time I'm spending on things, which. I mean, I, I, I don't work like a full work day. I, I maybe do like four hours a day of work instead of like, you know, the normal eight hour day or whatever. But I wonder if from the outside, you know, people look at it like, oh, there's a, you know, YouTube channel and eBooks and zine and this. I wonder if it looks like from the outside that I'm just like constantly working myself into the ground. But I mean, that's not the experience. That's it's not the case at all. Um, so I do wonder how that factors into things as well in terms of people's outside perspective, looking at others and what they're doing. How I've always perceived it was similar along those lines of, oh, Ben's always doing something or like, because that, that's kind of what you hear too. Like you hear from, obviously, Thomas Heaton's on a different level than what you are Yeah. in terms of how busy he is, everything that he's doing. I could never but do even, that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but even so... You hear it from him and guys right in that same sector and they're like, oh, we're always doing emails and we're always in the office and doing all of this other stuff. And then you look at someone like yourself and after we started talking on here, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm free whenever. So just yeah. like send me an email <laughs> yeah, exactly. if you want to <laughs> like, so, so there's definitely that, that perception that you are constantly busy with like the ebooks or the YouTube channel or anything like that, yeah. even though you're only going on what, four or five trips a year somewhere yeah. in that vicinity. Yeah. Not, not spending a lot of time in the field and working on things, but you know, kind of on my own terms in terms of like, like this morning I went out for a ride for a while cause I knew we were going to record the podcast today. So I figured I'd get, you know, a few hours of, <clears throat> of writing in before coming here, but I, I honestly haven't done any work 
today. I mean, I, this podcast, I don't consider it to be work, but I, I guess if someone from the outside, they might view it that way. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of an interesting perspective on things. And I was, I was thinking about that. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, you feeling like, you know, you need to be productive on things and this and that. I don't know. It's just, it's a different perspective from, from the inside versus the outside looking in. And I think that also goes with another topic that we've discussed quite a bit in that slow growth and the idea of doing things that compound over time rather than trying to see results immediately yeah. with everything and looking at more for the like long form type of content yeah. than anything else. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a huge factor too. Cause I mean, if you're, if you're just trying and like how, how I have been like falsely trying in the past to just make a bunch of stuff that will get me very quickly to what I feel is success, but realizing that every little step that I take is much more beneficial. If it's like slow it down, do things as proper as possible, do things how I really want to see them be done, and that's going to make me happy about it instead of just do what I think should be done because it's what's popular and what other people do. Yeah. So there's a, um, a a saying that people will say sometimes, kind of a philosophy that people have, where they'll say, you know, you have to step outside your comfort zone. Um, yeah. What are What are your thoughts on that? I think it can be beneficial, but I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking about that. It seems like that's something that a lot of people will say that you know, if you're going to grow, you have to step outside your comfort zone. I, <clears throat> I was thinking about that when I was on the ride today. I'm like. I like my comfort zone. I produce my best work in my comfort zone. And, and, and perhaps it's more of just like slowly expanding that comfort zone to like encompass more things. Yeah. But I, I think just the shock value of like if I were to like travel internationally to some, you know, obscure location and, and haul the 8 by 10 there and do that and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, yes, that is definitely stepping outside my comfort zone. And I feel like it would be a absolutely miserable experience that I would not be able to produce the same sort of work as I would in the zone that I have worked very hard through the years to make as comfortable as possible uh, to, to <laughs> encourage me to produce more work. So, I mean, I think that philosophy might work for some people that perhaps thrive in that sort of environment where they're forced to grow quickly and to adapt quickly and to change quickly. But I think for a lot of people, it's more about expanding the comfort zone to, encomp to encompass more things slowly and gradually over time, yeah. um, which you know, allows one to continue to produce the sort of work that they're satisfied with. But without that, that shock value, that would be perhaps detrimental in, in many ways. I, mean, I go back to the trip that I had with Colorado and how I felt there and so out of place and everything was just very shocking and both on a personal and photographic level. So I can definitely see where if I definitely agree that the comfort zone expansion has to be gradual. Yeah. You can't you can't just all of a sudden get on a plane to Iceland when you're a woodland photographer and expect to come away with like meaningful personable work that you would otherwise create. I mean, there, there's got to be a slow, gradual transition period into that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. Or at least that that's where like going back to the same place over and over again is beneficial. Yeah. I mean, I look at, I look at, at Acadia and I love going up there, 
but that first trip was a massive like totally screwed with my mind in terms of how can I go about capturing this in a meaningful manner and that's why it, it turned out the way that it did but the second time that I went up there it got better and the next time that I go up there it'll get better yet so going and having that repetition too and slowly getting into that comfort zone like acclimating that as part of it now when you went there the first time did you suspect that that is what your experience would be or were you experience were you expecting it to be like this this glorious moment with like the sun parting through the clouds and everything beautiful everything pristine and then it was like the complete opposite of of what you were expecting definitely that yeah definitely the like complete opposite of what i was expecting when i went up there I mean, I was thinking that, so when we were last up there in June of this year, we ended up getting like rained out for the most part. And everybody up there was like, this is so unusual. The weather normally isn't this rainy, overcast, anything. But you go back to when I first went up there and I was thinking, oh, I can't wait because there will be like storm clouds coming over the ocean and I can get yeah. nice compositions with that. And it was complete opposite. And so, yeah, it was not at all what my expectations were for it. Now, if you had gone into the trip with the expectation that it's going to be a difficult trip and you would have a hard time producing the sort of work that you're going to be satisfied with, do you think going into a trip with expectations like that would have helped on that first trip? I think if anything, I would need to go into a trip thinking I'm not going to come away with anything and just have that realization that yeah, like you said, this is this is going to be difficult. This is going to be totally against what I'm thinking it's going to be. And almost in a way, think about it as an exploratory trip rather than a photographic trip. And that's kind of what I tried to do with Colorado, but it wasn't 100% there. wasn't working out quite how I wanted it to. Yeah. Um, a work in progress sort of mentality. But still, I think if you go to a place, especially like a new place like that, or you've never been to, and even that you've seen photographs of from before, to go into it and think, I'm not going to come away with anything. And not have that be like a, as a negative thing, as like, because I'm a terrible photographer, I'm not going to come away with anything. Yeah. But more like, I don't know what to expect, so I'm just going to let the experiences happen to me and capture them as they feel fit, rather than try and go there with an with an expectation that I'm going to come away with the an award-winning photograph or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of when, um, <clears throat> so the, the canyon I backpacked into this year on my spring trip, this is the second time I visited that canyon. And then the year prior was the first time I went in there. And I remember going in there specifically with low expectations. Um, I knew nothing about how the canyon would look. Uh, I knew nothing of the sort of subjects that would be there. I, I did a little bit of looking online in terms of like, you know, Google searching the um, the name of the canyon, just to make sure that there wasn't any sort of um, like technical, like I didn't have to like a repel or anywhere, you know, something yeah, that I was yeah. ill-equipped to to do. Um, and just to make sure that it was it was a normal hike. And in the process of doing so, I saw some some pictures people had taken more so uh, just kind of snapshots along the trail. Um, and it gave me a little feeling for what was there, but I went into it for the most part with no expectations. And I was pleasantly surprised because um, I, I remember hiking out of there on that first time with almost like a, a little bit of like a euphoric sort of feeling. Um, 
thinking like, oh, wow, you know, this is a place that I can return to for many, many years to come. And I will constantly find some great subjects in this canyon. And I, I took a lot of photos on that first trip and I didn't have any that I was happy with, but I was kind of okay with it just because of those expectations. Um, but then when I returned the second time, I walked away with several portfolios from that canyon and uh, it, also having a, a good feeling when I was hiking out of there, but it wasn't the sort of euphoric sort of feeling I had the first time. It was more so I found stuff. I think I did pretty well, but there was also something that felt a little missing the second time. Um, but, but as it turns out, everything, everything was, was really good on that second visit. Um, but I, I think a lot of it was just how I framed my expectations on that first visit versus, versus the second visit. And it'll be interesting to see how it changes when I uh, perhaps return next year and uh, with some other subjects to pursue and, and stuff along those lines. Yeah, that'd be something to document, definitely. Especially if you're doing the, like, if you're doing the journals for those trips as yeah. well. Yeah, I, I'll probably do that next year. I, I, I avoided it this time just because it was so much stuff I was already juggling, right. but I really, I really wish I had. I, I think it would have been a, a very fascinating look at that mentality on the trip. Even so, to have it as like a year two journal and here's how I'm feeling now and kind of reflecting back to how you felt before. That's true. Um, it's something that I should consider doing when I start to go to Acadia more regularly. Yeah. And just seeing how everything changes in that manner as well. Like how, how do we feel and how are our expectations kind of shifting and after the trip doing like a little write-up of how do we feel about the photographs that we came away from it compared to how we did when we saw the photographs from before. Yeah. I think it would be cool. So. Yeah. So what else have you been up to? Any, any uh, chances to get away and uh, get away from the puppies and such uh, this week? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yesterday, I hung out with Dan White. We okay, yeah. uh, went over to, I went over to his house, brought Emmy along with, and Emmy got to meet his two puppies along with his wife. And we just hung out for four or so hours, just oh, nice. talking different creative stuff. Um, so that was good. It was weird to be in another room with a, someone who is, uh, I mean, we talk all the time. So to kind of be brainstorming one-on-one -on -one in person with someone else is definitely different. It's a different experience than yeah. talking online or even having this podcast. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, so did that yesterday. And then today I spent the majority of the day working on a website. Oh, what's, what, what are you working on? So there's someone else who listens to the podcast and that I have been talking to off and on, Jeremy Bassetti. I mentioned it before. Mm -hmm. And he runs a website on a static page platform called Hugo. Okay. And real basic markdown forward uh, website. And you don't need to know a ton of coding to really get into it. Obviously, it helps. But I was able to follow along a YouTube video and have a little site created. That's, again, really basic, but I'm going to continue playing around with this because it will fulfill all of the needs that I have with everything that I want from a website without really having to learn too terribly much in code. Oh, nice. Um, That's good. Or at least I can learn what I need to along the way while I'm just fiddling around. Yeah. So. That's a new project for this month that I want to try and get get rolling on and see if it is easy enough for me 
where I can just completely replace Squarespace because there's a lot of things with Squarespace that I don't care about, especially yeah. when it comes to the writing. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a a very specific requirement that you have to be able to integrate all that sort of stuff, which Squarespace isn't as friendly for. Right. Like the the blogs on Squarespace are fine, but where my issue comes in is I really want to start doing long form content. The more I think about things and the the project that I had talked about or the new direction that I had talked about before, the more that I think about it, the better off I am just doing like 2,500 word plus articles where I'm really delving into this subject and really like bearing my heart on my sleeve and just that's more like personally satisfying than a bunch of thousand word, 1500 word articles every week or however often. Yeah. Um, but the problem with these articles in Squarespace is that with each of them, I use a lot of footnotes and Squarespace is not footnote friendly at all. Yeah. They have no way of integrating it, which is mm. weird because it's such a common thing to use. But regardless, there's unfortunately no way to do it right. And then obviously there are some other issues that I have a Squarespace, but that's beside the point. Yeah. So well, that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm happy that I was able to figure it out. And even though it's very bare bones, I'll post like a screenshot on my Instagram story and then in the Discord as well, um, just so people can see like what it is, but really bare bones, uh, but it's nice. I mean, Jeremy's website is quite nice and that's definitely a solid starting point to kind of like model off of a little bit without trying to copy everything. So yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's exciting. Cause I know that's something that you've been wanting to have a better system for. Um, so if, if that works out and is, gives you all the solutions that you need to have things presented the way that you want, that would definitely be a very, very nice step forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, it's going to be take a bit. I mean, today I was able to get like the basics put up there and just all local files and everything. Uh, but it's still going to take me a while to figure out like the design of everything, uh, yeah. how to, how I can present a, a gallery setup, um, which I'm not really requiring much because I'm putting more focus on my writing than anything else. But yeah. but yeah, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully by the end of November, I can have something that I'm happy enough with that I can throw on there and see where it goes from there. Yeah. So yeah. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> do you ever have a, um, just like a, a random thought where you're like, you have, you're suddenly curious about something. So you just have to Google it right away just to see if there's, there's an answer for it. I mean, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. So yeah, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so I, I've had, I've had a couple of those in the past, uh, past couple of weeks or so. <clears throat> One of them, I was mowing the lawn and it was just a very simple thing that I just, I didn't know off the top of my head. I'm, I'm like, does, does oil evaporate? So, so I go on Google, I, does oil evaporate? And sure enough, it, says it does, but just, you know, very, very slowly so. And another one I had was, is there an ideal group size for humans? Yeah. I mean, isn't it like 150 people? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, that, I, I forget where I read that. Up. Yeah. It, it, it was like it, any companies that have uh, 150 or less people, you can like remember the names of people. You can like actually have personal interactions with them. I can't remember what book I read that in though. I, I think it was something Malcolm Gladwell wrote, or maybe there was a um, in the in the Google search I did. Um, it was attributed to an Oxford professor about thirty years ago by the name of Robin Dunbar, 
And it was interesting because I just kind of started diving down this rabbit hole and I started talking about how there was like this, this chart at one point of, of uh, primate group sizes that are typical and then kind of along with like the size of their brain. And then they were like, well, what would happen if we put humans on that chart? And it came up with the number of 150. Yeah. It was Malcolm Gladwell wrote about Robin's work in uh, The Tipping Point. That's yeah. what it was. Again, a random Googling while we're on here. <laughs> what would we do without Google? I mean, it's like, it's just like, it, it satisfies that itch in the brain of like, oh, I need this knowledge immediately. And then, then you can like look it right up. I mean, could you imagine like if you really wanted to know if oil evaporated, you would have to spill some oil on the ground and watch it and see if it does evaporate yeah. rather than just Google it, it and get the answer in five seconds. We'll find it right away. It'd be like 10 days versus five seconds or however yeah. long it takes. Um, and, and I, and it, I just, you know, I found it, it was just, it was so fascinating reading about um, what, what Robin Dunbar had, had said. And I, his conclusion was that like uh, the, the maximum number of, of relationships you can have is about 150 um, for meaningful relationships, which, you know, it, it makes sense because if you think of, oh, there's this person who has like 500 Facebook friends, no, you, you don't have 500 friends. You, you, you know of 500 people, maybe. Um, you, you know where they're from, but you don't really know anything about them. You don't really have any meaningful relationship with them. Yeah, you can go through that list and name them by reading the list, but not through anything else. Exactly. But I, when I was, I was thinking about, about that, that number and about how our society is, I mean, that's the sort of number of meaningful relationships you have. But beyond that, you start to have groups that divide and splinter, and then you have all kinds of things that go on. And just thinking about how much of our society is, all, all, so many of the ills of society are a result of just existing in these enormous populations that is far outside what we were biologically equipped to do. It just seems like so much of the issues with, you know, mental health, with all sort of societal issues, it's just because there's just too many of us. We're just, we're not designed for this. And it, it just, it was fascinating to dig down that hole and just, we're forcing ourselves to be something that we're not. And it just, yeah. we're not made for it. Yeah. I mean, he was saying too, that like, it's just weird to think about when like cities in general. And how crammed and po like overly populated we are, and yet we wonder why we're constantly at each other's throats. We wonder yeah. why we have such high crime rates in cities, and like even it's just yeah. yeah. I can't collect my thoughts right now, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it it is a strange concept. Um, just just to to see things in that perspective, but all of a sudden things begin to make more sense. But yeah, yeah, it was it was just I, I love those Google uh, rabbit holes, whether it's, you know, oil evaporating, whether it's, you know, ideal sizes for for groups and things along those lines. And I, I do not know what I would do if I did not have that immediate access just to, I don't know, just just to learn something like that. Yeah, I, my girlfriend started reading this book that is utilizing the uh, names of Greek gods and it's funny because last night she was going through reading it and she has her Apple watch and every so often she, she'd look at me and she'd be like, do you know how to say this? <laughs> I'm like, I think it's this, but let's see what Siri says. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, 
quick answers like that. I mean, the number of times where we'll do that just in the middle of the night while we're watching TV or playing a game and it's like, I wonder if this is because of this or is that, who's that actor on the yeah. screen and what else are they in and where do we know that person from? And yes, that's probably the most common way of using it. But still that's, yeah. I mean, if we didn't have Google, we'd have to jot down everything or just let things go. Yeah. Like I, I, I did this one thing uh, a couple of years ago uh, where I wanted to get away from my phone uh, as much as possible. And I remember I was sitting at, at work and reading because that's what I was paid to do, <laughs> essentially. It's a good job. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it worked. And um, I was just reading there and I'd constantly have these thoughts and it had to have been because of like ADHD too. But I just constantly had these thoughts running through my brain as I'm reading and the urge to pull out my phone, quick look it up, was so strong. It was just ridiculous. But to not do that, there's also some kind of like satisfaction too, where you're like, this is information that I really don't need to know. Yeah. Like, I really don't need to know what this actor has been in that I know them from in order to continue enjoying this movie. That's not going to change anything. Like, it's not going to change my world right now to know that oil doesn't evaporate or it does. Yeah. It's like, Unless I absolutely need to know that knowledge, do I really need to be looking it up all the time and just wasting like minutes doing that kind of stuff? But yeah. it's also very convenient. So sometimes why not? Yeah. There was, um, there was one time my wife and I, we were in Yosemite. We were camping there. Uh, we we're in kind of the high country area and there's no cell signals or anything. And there'll be times when I'm, I'm away from a cell signal and there's something that's bugging me because I know... I know that I know the answer deep down, but I cannot think of it. And people will think I'm absolutely crazy for what I'm about to say, but I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Beatles fan. I mean, I appreciate them, but I'm not like, I don't know everything about them, basically. That's okay. My mom can't stand them. Yeah. <laughs> I um, enjoy some of their songs, but yeah. Yeah. We, we, and we were camping and I could remember three of the names of the Beatles. I could not remember the fourth and it was bugging me. And, and my wife didn't remember either. And I'm like, I know that deep down, I know the answer to this. I just, I cannot recall it. And so there's this technique that I've learned that works really, really well. If there's something where you know you have the knowledge, but you just can't recall it, I will just go through the alphabet. And I'll just picture an A, a B, a C. At some point, when you say one of those letters, you get a little tingle. And like, you know that there's a pathway there to get to whatever it is. And sure enough, I got to G and there was like this a little like, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know it yet, but I know I'm getting close. I'll go through the entire alphabet and then there's usually like three or four letters I get that on. And if I focus on that, then I can get the pathway to it. It was George Harrison was the one I couldn't remember. Um, <clears throat> but just it, it's a weird technique. And I'll do that if I'm like on a backpacking trip. If there's something I'm like, th th this like a name of a band or something that's just bugging me, I can't look it up. I go through the alphabet and then sure enough, it will trigger whatever that mental pathway is to, to get to, you know, that where that information is stored. Um, but I think that was like the, the pre-Google, you know, assuming that you at least know the information and, and can recall it at some point. And that's assuming that you know the alphabet, which is a, a pretty big <laughs> ask depending on how far back you go. <laughs> that's, that's true. It does rely on... I mean, sometimes, yes, I do have to sing the alphabet song, um, but I, I, it'll, it'll get me there. It'll, it'll get me there. But I, I wonder I've what cavemen that. did before they knew the alphabet song. 
Like how did they, they, what was their little trick? I think they were just trying to survive. I think (laughs) probably living happily in their groups of 150 or less and, and not being traumatized by the pace of modern society and probably eating better food too. But they probably lived to like 20 and then they died of old age. So maybe not the absolute best of, of things. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I think of the Flintstones and I'm like, oh, that looks nice. <laughs> just, all right. Just having a dinosaur as a pet. And yeah. I mean, the only downside is like the cars wouldn't be the best. I mean, that's good physical exercise, but then why even bother with a car? That's true. It does seem like it'd be a lot more work. I mean, other than the downhills, but how are you going to get back? Yeah, you know? that's what I was thinking too. Like downhills, awesome. But yeah. uphills, having to, especially if you're alone, yeah. like it's a one person car or you're the only person in a four person car, that's rough. Yeah. That's get, no good. Yeah, I get that dinosaur to pull it back up the, uh, the hill. These are, these are deep thoughts. These are like backpacking are. thoughts, you know, things <laughs> or cycling <laughs> thoughts as well. I, I, I do love the, the mental clarity that comes with, with hiking, with cycling, with skating, running, any, anything where you're just out there focused on something, your mind is just working, you, you know, it, it re- results in some, some pretty deep Flintstones related thoughts. hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, codyschultz.com. And you can find my work at benhorn.com. For further discussion, join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone whether you're a pain member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time. <laughs>